0: God, you are wonderful and what a joy it is to sing your praises. Lord, I was just caught by the words in that song in the middle, forgiven and free forever. You will be my God. What a tremendous thought. And Lord, we just pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds now. Lord, speak through your word. Let people hear your word, the glory, the joy of Scripture and the power it has in our lives. Lord, may we see you and may we be drawn to you. As we study your word. So we just lift up this morning before you. We thank you for the time we have to be together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated. our topic today. is from 1 Corinthians 13 4, and it's on love is greater than envy. Okay, well, if you would, start turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And don't put your Bibles down when we're finished reading. We've only got one verse. But take advantage of it, because we're going to look at a bunch of scripture. We've got one verse as our main text here, but we're going to look at a bunch of scripture today. And so I would encourage you, even though it's going to be on the screen, I'd encourage you to, uh, to look along in your Bible and get, keep the practice, keep your sword drill in practice and uh, looking up scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 reads this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Let me tell you a story about envy. Let me start with a story from ancient Greece. There's a story of a a runner. And he trained really hard and, and really put everything he had into his running. And when the time came for the biggest race of his life, he ran really well. But he finished in second place. And the winner... As he's sitting there finishing second, the winner's getting you know, the wreath on his, on his head. He's getting all kinds of adulation and praise. And the town was so impressed with the winner, they erected a statue of the winner. Well, this ate away at the guy that finished in second. His envy and jealousy and hatred for the, for the winner just grew and grew. And he could think of nothing else. And he decided finally he was going to destroy that statue. He was going to get rid of it. And so under the cover of darkness, he went out each night. And he started and he just chiseled away a little bit of the base, thinking, if I just chisel the base, the whole thing will eventually look like it just fell on its own and it was poor workmanship or something. Well, one night he got out there and just in his violent anger, he starts chipping away and he went too far. (laughs) He chipped just one stroke too far, a little too hard. And that statue began to tip and that marble statue fell straight down on that man. He died underneath the weight of a statue, a marble statue of the man that he had come to hate and envied. His own envy had destroyed him. Terrible, terrible ending. And so to make sure that we don't let envy destroy us, we want to take a look at 1 Corinthians thirteen, four. And we're going to look at the fact that love is contrary to envy. Love is contrary to envy. Now, as you read in verse 13, uh, in verse 4 of chapter 13, you would have had the word envy. Uh, but if you have the New, Amer- um, the New American Standard or the New Living Translation, your bible probably has the word jealousy uh, most translations have envy but a couple translations have jealousy and i just want to say those two words are often used in conjunction with each other they get they get uh, you know swapped out for each other many many times but i want to look at them because there are some differences between envy and jealousy and so we do want to look at those but let me just point out in this verse it's okay that they use you could use envy or jealousy and it's appropriate in either in either way so as we look at this, we're going to look at envy, mostly that. We'll, throw, we'll look at jealousy as well. But I also want us to compare how love is contrary to that. So, if we're going to look at envy first, let's get a definition of it. So the first place I went was Merriam-Webster. It's like, okay, what's the dictionary have to say? And you can see it on the screen. It's a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess that same advantage. And that's a pretty... Pretty good definition of envy. But I thought there was a better definition I found in the Wycliffe Bible Dictionary. And it's going to be on the screen for you as well. And look at this definition of of envy. An active principle of hostility aimed maliciously at the real or supposed superiority of another person. That's a powerful definition of envy. When you start realizing that words like malicious and hostility and superiority are all sitting in there. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing, and we need to look at it. We need to figure out if it's in our lives, what do we do do about it? And you'll find in 1 Corinthians 13, in in verse number 4, where it talks about envy. Envy is the first of eight uh, negative words that the Bible uses to describe love. So it it uses, to help us understand love, it's using this almost negative form to help us understand what love is not. And then we can see the right picture of love. So it'll go on if you read read on in, in the following verses through ver- the middle of verse 6. It'll tell us that love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking or easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. And it doesn't delight in evil. A lot of powerful words there about that. And remember, we're going to see, though, how love is contrary to envy. And one of the ways that you will find is that love and envy are mutually exclusive. In other words, where one is, the other one cannot be. You can't have love and also have envy there. And you can't have envy and then say, oh, I've also got love. They're mutually exclusive. You're not gonna have them both together. And the idea here in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love does not focus on its own personal desires. It's not looking to increase its own stature or its own position. It's looking, in other words, trying to show us that God's love is selfless, not selfish. And so we're going to look at envy. And some of the other words you might find, uh, as you if you think about envy, some of the other words often associated with it would be malicious, uh, covetousness, jealousy, and evil eye, um, the green eyed monster. I think that actually comes from Shakespeare. I learned so um, strangely enough. So that's envy. But if we want to look at these two words, since they're both used synonymously so many different times, let's also look at jealousy. So once again, I went to Merriam-Webster, and here's the definition of jealousy. Hostile toward a rival, or one believed to enjoy an advantage. Disposed to suspect rivalry, or unfaithfulness, or vigilant in guarding a possession. Notice the end of that. Because jealousy actually can sometimes have a commendable side to it. If you look at that last part of that where it says vigilant and guarding a possession sometimes there can be a commendable side to that and we're going to take a look at that here in a couple minutes but let's look at uh, envy so that's our definition and we've seen envy and we've seen jealousy but what are the differences remember we said there are, there are some differences and if we're, you know, we use them interchangeably so many times and sometimes we're even called the terrible twins because they get used so often together but what are the differences between the two because there are some as we said to envy is basically to want something which another person has. You want to possess what they've got. Think about, for example, the Tenth Commandment, where it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, his wife or his servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's wanting something that somebody else has. In contrast, jealousy is the fear that something we have is going to be taken from us by somebody else. And whereas Jealousy and envy are often used to indicate a person is covetous of something. It's jealousy that has that that vindictive zealous um, side to it that's almost um, um, kind of that protective feeling I mean, almost you, you develop a very protective feeling about a person or or a thing uh, and you become very jealous about that the uh a good definition I, I like the way John MacArthur put it when he talked about envy and jealousy he said. One form says, I want what someone has. The second sort is more than selfish. It's desiring evil for someone else. It's wishing they didn't have what they do have. It's jealousy on the most deepest and corrupt and destructive level. Power for powerful things. And you might say, okay, well, that's you know, John MacArthur and Merriam-Webster and some dictionaries. What about the Bible? What's right? the first colony Bible chapel here? What does the Bible have to say with it? Well, remember, I told you we were going to look up some verses. Now's that time. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, pull them out because we're going to we're going to look at a few verses here and let Scripture talk to you. Don't don't hear it from me. Hear what Scripture has to teach us on this. Turn first to Mark. Excuse me. Mark, chapter seven. And these will be on the screen. So if you're not familiar with your Bible or or not able to turn the pages, that's okay. We'll have them on the screen for you. Turn to Mark, chapter seven, and we're going to look at verses twenty one and twenty three. Because let's start by taking a look, where does envy come from? Mark seven twenty one to twenty three read this for from within out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness here's our word envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside, and they make a man unclean. Ouch. This is, not the, this is not what we want our life defined by. And what does God tell us about these things? We'll turn now back toward the end of your Bible. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1. 1 Peter 2, 1. What does God say about this? He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. See, God's telling us, we got to get this out of our life. If we've got a life marked by envy, we need to get rid ourselves of it and all these things. Now I want you to jump back. Let's look at another verse. Go to Galatians chapter five. I want to look at Galatians five nineteen to twenty one. told you you're going to get a workout in your Bible here. Galatians five nineteen to twenty one. Reads this. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. It's very similar to the, the, acts, uh, the list we just read. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And listen to this warning. Why, why does God want us to rid, us, rid, rid our lives of these things? I warn you as I did before. That those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a serious warning. That is a warning that should scare every single one of us. It should make us desire to get in the word and figure out how are we going to keep this out of our lives. Now I want you to turn back one more time. Turn to James. Uh, Head back toward the end of your Bible again. After Hebrews comes James. And I want you to turn to James chapter 3 and verse 16. Because look what it tells us about the life that's defined by envy. James 3.16 reads, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. A life marked by envy is a life of disorder in every evil practice. And we just read those long lists of what some of the evil practices are. All that comes from within us, isn't it? That's scary. But the good news is that we can have victory over that. So keep turning on. I want you to look at a couple more verses. I know it's a lot. Turn back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at what Proverbs had to say. We're going to look at some of the wisdom of the Proverbs. And turn, starting by uh, turning to Proverbs chapter 24. We're almost there. Only a couple more. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 1. Because it tells us, Do not envy wicked men and do not desire their company. See, it's pretty easy when we see somebody doing something sinful. It'd be pretty easy Say, oh, hey, that could be kind of fun. Why can't I do that? And be envious of them. But look what the Bible says. Don't be envy the wicked men. And don't desire their company. We don't even hang out with people that are defined by envy in their life. Now go back to Proverbs chapter 21. Turn back just a page or so. And look at verse 26. Because what does it say about that person? That that wicked person that's defined, one of their definitions is envy. All day long he craves for more. But the righteous give without sparing. See, envy is never satisfied. It's always going to want more and more. It's never going to be satisfied. But the righteous person is defined by giving without sparing. And we're actually going to, for those that like visuals, we're going to have a visual presentation of that here in just a second. And I think you'll like that. Finally, one more, though. I want to look at one, one verse that's particularly dealt with jealousy since we said they're used often. Just a couple pages forward to Proverbs chapter 27. Look at the danger of jealousy. Proverbs twenty-seven four, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Wow, <laughs> it's almost like it's on another level than even anger. Jealousy is, <laughs> once again, another thing that we need to be careful. And there's, like I said, there is a commendable side, and we're going to look at that here in a second. But in typical jealousy, is something that we need to keep out of our lives. Do you see the warnings? Do you see how much God, I mean, and this is just a sampling. You can go through your Bibles and find even more verses about envy and and continue to study it. But do you see the warnings God gives us? He wants us to rid our lives of this. But let me uh, cover one thing about envy and jealousy, because I want to make sure we understand this. So if I were to ask, is envy ever right? Your answer should be no. Is envy ever right? No. Envy is purely just pride and, and lack of faith. It's never right. It's it's like the pride of sin. Uh, matter of fact, there's a guy, David Guzik, uh, who if some of you have the Blue Letter Bible uh, on your cell phones or your tablets, um, he puts it this way. Envy is one of the least productive and most damaging sins. It accomplishes nothing except to hurt. Wow. Envy is extremely dangerous. So is envy ever right? And the answer is no. But is jealousy always wrong? And once again, the answer is no. And our example is God himself god 's described as a jealous God in exodus thirty four fourteen it says, "Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name uh, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous god however let 's make the distinction: God is not jealous of us he 's not jealous of anything. God is jealous for us he wants us to be with him he is jealous to have us with him and it 's a godly jealousy. A good example would be uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, and he said this to the Corinthians, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. See, Paul has a godly jealousy for the Corinthians. He wants to see them come to Christ and to live a life that's a godly life and that they're going to be presented before the Lord. That's a godly jealousy. It's for someone and it's for the Lord. So, Make sure we have that straight. And let's go back, though, to 1 Corinthians 13. So if you want to turn back, you're you're more than welcome to. In 1 Corinthians 13, back to our passage, because I want you to see why this is here. You might be like, where did this come from in this whole chapter? Why why suddenly are we talking about envy in the middle of this uh, passage on love? Well, envy and jealousy is an area that the Corinthians had struggled with. If you looked at 1 Corinthians 3.3, you would find that it says, you are still worldly, he's telling the, the Corinthians. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? The Corinthians were having to deal with this. This is one of the issues they were dealing with. And then Paul takes the first 11 chapters, the first 12 chapters of Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians, and he deals with all kinds of behaviors that he's trying to get the, uh, the uh, Corinthians to drive out of the church and out of their lives. He covered things like uh, idol worship their propriety in how they do worship he talked about misusing their freedoms he covered lawsuits among believers immoral actions that were taking place in the church a whole series of things that he was warning the corinthians these are things you've got to get rid of in your life and when he got to chapter 12 if you looked at chapter 12 just before this passage he's addressing spiritual gifts and more specifically how the corinthians didn't have a proper focus on spiritual gifts They were actually being really prideful in what they desired. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 31, just before we get into this chapter on love. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, it says, But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And some translations say, but you eagerly desire the greater gifts. He's warned them. He's just told them that God is the one who distributes gifts. It's God who has perfectly ordained and given every believer a gift and that we don't choose which gift God gives us, that it's, it's perfect for us. God has, God has you in mind with the gift he has given each one of you if you're a believer. And so he's just warned them about not being prideful and not doing that. And some people will look at that and say, oh, well, this is a command to go, go seek out the showier or the flashier gifts. And a lot of times that's, that's associated with the speaking in tongues as he's just mentioned right before that. But he's saying this, In a negative sense, do you see in uh, verse 31 where it says, but uh, eagerly desire? Those words, eagerly desire, when you go back to the the root words of those in the Greek, it means envy and jealousy. It translates right back to exactly the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 13.4 that we're looking at today. He's saying this is a negative thing. It's almost like, but you're seeking after these showier gifts. In other words, you're still prideful. You're still looking at that. But then look what he says, because this is what leads right into chapter 13. Look how it finishes verse 31. And I will still show you, I will show, now show you a more excellent way. Well, what is that excellent way? Well, it's harmony and being content and living well with one each other. And it's the way of love that we're looking at now in verse 13. Isn't amazing? I, mean, I love the way scripture just kind of builds on itself. And you can just see how it, it just kind of builds. And what does it build to? It's always building to drawing us toward the Lord. So it's a, it's a great, uh, great way to look at this is just to study the whole passage and then see why is it here. Because this is the more excellent way that love is contrary to envy. And I said, how many of you are visual learners? I am. I, I know Jennifer is too. So. <laughs> so let's get a visual on this one. There's a, uh, on the wall in the, and, and Marian, please help me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, uh, the Scrovegni Chapel in northern Italy in uh, Padua. Uh, there's a series of paintings by a Renaissance painter named Giotto, And he created these series of paintings on the chapel and it's called Vices and Virtues. So it's a whole series and he designed it so that as you looked at it, you, it's, it's almost a path to salvation. That you would have all these vices and they would be contrasted with a virtue. And the idea was you could, you could find your ultimate salvation by getting rid of these vices, by adding these virtues to your life. And one of the vices that he has on there is Envy. And he contrasted envy with the picture of charity. So envy's on the left and charity on the right. So let me just point out a couple things first. Take a look at the picture of envy. We're talking about that. And notice first, notice these huge ears. Because I think what he's saying is that envy has these really perceptive ears that are ready to hear anything good about somebody else. And they're ready to listen to it and they're ready to be envious of it. That's what envy does. It's just out there listening, looking for something to be envious of. But now also look at the tongue. And I hope it's big enough that you can see this. Look at the tongue of envy. Because it's a poisonous viper. The tongue is a snake. And the idea is, envy, it's poisonous to us. It's poisonous to spread all that envy out. But also take a look. What's the snake doing? It's curling back and biting the old woman envy. The idea here is that envy is not only a poisonous viper; it's poisonous to ourselves and it poisons our own soul. And then take a look at the bottom of the painting. What's envy sitting in? Flames. What's the ultimate? What's the ultimate uh, end of a life devoted to envy? It's destruction. It's the flame. It's an amazing painting when you start looking at it. But then Giotto does something. He he. Uh, Contrasts envy with charity. And the old woman, envy, is contrasted with this uh, younger woman, charity, who's holding a cornucopia, a basket uh, of all kinds of good things, which would be symbols of help and of generosity. And he contrasts this with charity. In fact, if you look in the Bible and you take the word charity and go back to its root, you'll find that it comes from the word agape, which means what does it mean? Love, exactly. Do you see the beauty here? That love and charity is contrary to envy. It goes back to what we're looking at today. It's a great visual. I mean, I, I'm not a huge uh, artist, uh, painting connoisseur, but I love this one. It'd be a great thing. If you're in Italy, I'd suggest going through there because I'm sure it'd be really, really something to see. But love is greater than envy. So let's put this practice of charity and love, let's put this in practice in our lives, in place of envy. And to do that, let's understand some of the causes, the roots of envy in our life. See, God has given us some specific inner desires and needs. Three that he gives us our love, significance and security. We have a need for all of these things in our life. We have a need for love to know that someone loves us and is committed to our. They love us unconditionally. They're committed to our best interest we have a need for significance, to know that our lives have meaning and that they have purpose. And we have a need for significant uh, security, to feel accepted and a sense of belonging. But the issue here is when we seek these things outside, God gave us these things. And when we seek to fulfill these things outside of, it, outside of God, a heart of discontentment and envy can follow. And we've got to be aware of that. Listen to what it says in Isaiah fifty-eight eleven. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters will never fail. See, all along, God designed us to seek Him. Why did He give us these things? Because it's a design for us that we would seek after Him and that we would seek Him and find Him. And He will meet these needs for us. How does he meet these needs? Well, how about love? That first one. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. He meets our need for love. What about our need for significance? Staying in Jeremiah, look at Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And what about significance? Does he, uh, security. Does he meet that? And this one's probably a little harder to read. But Hebrews 6, 17 and 19. Listen to these. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of this hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. God meets these things. God's the one we need to turn to to find these things in our life. If we turn elsewhere, we have the potential of growing envy in our hearts. And think about some of the examples of envy in the Bible. Here's just a couple. Think of the very beginning. Go to Genesis. When Eve takes the the fruit and eats of the fruit, what has Satan just told her? You're going to be like God. She has that envy. She sees that it's, oh, it's pleasing. Oh, yeah, I can be like God. And she eats the fruit. She falls into it. Or think about Cain and Abel. They both brought sacrifices to God. Abel brought the sacrifice that God required, and Cain didn't. And Cain was envious. And what did Cain do? First murder in the Bible. He kills his brother. Or how about Joseph's brothers? It was envy that drove Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. Or how about in the New Testament? When Jesus is on trial, Pilate in Matthew 27, Pilate recognizes and tells the Pharisees that he recognized that it was envy was the reason that they wanted Jesus put to death. These are examples, some of the horrible consequences of envy just from the Bible. But let's bring it forward. What about today? We're sitting here in Sugar Land, Texas today. What are we going to do? What are some of the areas we have to be aware of envy in our life? Where can it sneak in in our life? As I studied this, I think I found one of the areas that, that is uh, quite common to all of us, or most probably uh, to most of us, and that's the area of social media. And let me tell you what I found. Uh, I found, uh, i share with you some interesting things from an article called The Age of Envy. Uh, it was posted in The Guardian by a lady named Moya Sarner. And she wrote that we live in an age of envy, envy of careers, of kitchens, of children, of food, of physiques. You name it, we have an envy for it. And she mentions a man named Ethan Cross, a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. And he's got a team that studies the impact of Facebook on our lives. You know somebody studying that? (laughs) It's almost kind of scary. But listen to what he said as his team studied this. Envy is being taken to an extreme. We're constantly bombarded by Photoshop lives, and that exerts a toll on us, the likes of which we have never experienced in the history of our species. And it is not particularly pleasant. His team did a study to compare passive Facebook use with active Facebook use and how that impacts our mood and our lives. And he says, the more you're on there on Facebook scrolling away, the more that elicits feelings of envy which in turn predicts a drop in how we feel. It has a negative impact on us. He says most of the time, people use Facebook passively and not actively. They're idly and lazily just reading and scrolling through rather than posting and messaging and commenting. And he says this is really interesting when you realize it's that passive use that's actually presumed to be the more harmful than the active. It's an amazing uh, impact. The article went on and mentioned a lady named Rachel Andrew, a clinical psychologist, who's actually seeing more people come to her office with the issue of envy in their life. She says people can't achieve the lifestyle they want, but which they see others have. Use of Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat, she says, amplifies this deeply disturbing psychological discord. In the past, people might have just envied their neighbors. But now we can compare ourselves with everyone across the world. She she goes on to say, no age group, no social status, no group is immune to this. It was called uh, comparisonitis by another lady named Wendy Dryden, who who studies cognitive behavior. She said, we know these images that we're seeing aren't real, but on an emotional level, it's still pushing our buttons, even though we know it's not real. If those images or narratives tap into what we aspire to, but what we don't have, it becomes very powerful. And get this, this is probably the most uh, shocking. I've got to share this one with you. Uh, this lady, Sherry Turkle, who's also a, a social psychologist, she wrote this about envy. We have something even more pernicious, I think. We look at the lives we've constructed online in which we only show the best of ourselves. That's probably true. And we feel a fear of missing out in relation to our own lives. We don't measure up to the lives that we tell others we're living. And we look at ourselves as as though we're like this separate other, and we're envious of it. She said it creates self-envy inside of us. We feel inauthentic, curiously envious of our own avatars. Did you catch it? We're envious of ourselves. (laughs) We do have an envy for everything. It's an amazingly powerful thing. But this is where the article came around to at the end. The summary of this one said... Each of us needs to think more carefully when we do use social media actively or passively about what we're trying to say. And I think more importantly, why we're trying to say it. What's our motive behind that? Honing your personal brand or social media may seem good for business or for yourself, but it does have a price. It all creates an atmosphere where showing off, whether unapologetically or deceptively, is not just normal, it's expected. And that is a space where envy can flourish. We need to be aware of this in our lives. And once again, I would say, think back to the verses in the Bible we just looked at. (laughs) The Bible was 2,000 years ahead of us in warning us about the dangers of envy in our lives. So, since we've seen how destructive envy can be, in some of the areas it can be, what do we do about it? How do we eliminate it in our lives? Well, here's a couple of... I've uh, come up with it I wanted to share with you. First, I think we need to put on the full armor of God. And since envy starts in the heart, as we read in Mark chapter 7, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You can see the the verses there in the the green. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness because the breastplate is what protects the heart. And the breastplate of righteousness refers to the, the righteousness that we can have that was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Next, I think we need to face our feelings. We need to, take, to, to face up to it. Listen to what it says in James 3.14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So we shouldn't be bragging about it. We also shouldn't be denying it. We've got to face those feelings and we've got to do something about it. And we've got to keep a right focus. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, verses I know a lot of you could probably quote with me. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We've got to keep that right focus. And then finally, like we saw in those those paintings, let's turn our focus from possessions to generosity instead. Look what it says in Acts 20, 33 to 35. Paul says, I have not coveted anyone's gold or silver or clothing. And he moves on later to say, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, We must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, saying it is more blessed to give than to receive. So let's wrap this up. Let's go back to our beginning premise. Remember we said love is contrary to envy. What does a loving person do? A loving person rejoices in the excellence of others. It rejoices in their beauty, in their winsomeness, in their possessions, their success, their gifts. It rejoices in those things. It doesn't hold envy and jealousy. If you looked in 1 Corinthians 13 and followed uh, the verses right after this one, in si- uh, the latter part of 6 and 7, it goes on to tell us that love rejoices in the truth. It protects. It trusts. It hopes and perseveres. Love never fails. That's what we want to do. We want to put this in place of that envy. Let's just not get rid of envy. Let's put love in its place. D.C. Anger wrote this in, in one of the, our Daily Bread uh, passages. He wrote, If we resent the success and accomplishments of others and find ourselves striking out at them, we have a problem with jealousy. But God wants to administer the antidote of love. That alone will keep us from being jealousy's victim. See, ultimately, to avoid envy and jealousy in our life and to replace it with love, we need to look to Jesus Christ. Look to the life he lived. He cared for the sick and the poor, he taught the truth. He, was, he brought the gospel to us, he brought it down to earth for us. and what was he ever jealous of the Pharisees and all the accusations? No, He was strictly focused on fulfilling the Father's will in his life. and that's what we need to do. We need to be focused on that. And it, ultimately, Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, that he paid the price for our sins that we could have salvation. And it was his, his love is the reason we can have that salvation. And it's His love that's the reason we can have victory over envy in our lives. It's why we can sing as we did just a few minutes ago. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word." We can sing that with joy because of what the Lord Jesus did to us. We can let envy be out of our life. And we can let the love of God replace that. I'm going to ask the, uh, the, the music team to come on up. I think we're going to sing one more song. But if you want to study this some more, let me just offer a, a quick, and this is this is a quick, easy study. There's a, a group, there's a ministry called Hope for the Heart. And they do a, a radio ministry, and they uh, put out these booklets. And this one's by June Hunt, and she's a, um, a Christian psychologist. And she put out this book called Envy and Jealousy, Taming the Terrible Twins. It's a great book. It's a little $5 pickup you can grab. And it'll just walk you through some biblical Counseling guidance through the areas of envy and jealousy if you're struggling with this in your life It's a great way to go through And kind of just have some tips and tricks on how to deal with it in your life And what we can do to drive envy out and to drive love into our lives So just a a, a quick note of something that you can do but with that let's pray Lord we just thank you We thank you that we can have victory over these things Even terrible things like envy that we can drive them out of our life lord Lord Because of the love that you showed us that we've celebrated all morning here, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died, was rose again, and that we can have salvation because of that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the the richness of scripture. And Lord, may it speak to us. May this continue to speak to us that we would be people known of love and not of envy. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this day. Help us, Lord, to take the message of the good news to this world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.